Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Wednesday, January 27th, 2016, and this is going to be our Addiction Wednesday, or whatever we're going to call it. (laughs) Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart. And uh, actually, maybe somebody will come up with a uh, a name for us for our Wednesday shows. Uh, it'll be about addiction healing. And uh, so maybe there's a, a better term out there that somebody's brain will come up with. The best one mine's come up with so far is just addiction healing. And so that's where we're going to head. And uh, we had an awesome a series on addiction and the 12-step programs in particular uh, with some input from Dr. Andraki out in Pahrump, Nevada uh, back a couple of weeks ago. And those uh, links are on our homepage at www.whyagain.org. And we want to provide support and uh, different perspectives on the whole idea of addiction, perhaps right down to its definition. You know, I found in some cases that that people actually, you know, don't agree with me. And, and, you know, it's just, I find it very shocking. But anyway, so we're going to get some different opinions, different thoughts in uh, in each direction with uh, a conversation that has as its uh, its sole purpose, uh, well, actually probably two purposes. Uh, One would be for each of us who's presenting to learn and to create support for anyone who's dealing with any form of addiction or any form of disorder of any kind, anything that's out of harmony with human life, we want to create a space of healing for it. And so the uh, the definition that I use for addiction that, uh, that fits with the why is this happening to me again work is that it is the compulsive use of any person circumstance, substance, or activity to keep from doing two things. One, from hearing and following our highest guidance. I think a lot of people shut down. It's sometimes been called conscience, shut down conscience. Uh, I heard one uh, one person who said, you know, I, I, I tried to drown my troubles and the little buckers learned to swim. So we, we sometimes have a, a conscience that tells us differently, but uh, we have those other thoughts that conflict and 
and I think that uh, we can drown out the voice of guidance with uh, with a substance, uh, any form of addictive behavior. And the other is, of course, to anesthetize pain. And so, one of the uh, the components of, of addiction, from the perspective I'm speaking from, and we'll hear from others and see if they have any other uh, other thoughts. But one of the components is uh, that of denial and. We kind of have, I think, in a, a different definition than most people hold of denial uh, in this work, where most people think of denial as, well, something happened and I said it didn't, and I'm in denial. But, but a little different perspective on it is that in this work, denial, the denial that we really want to deal with is the propensity to think or speak as though somebody else is the cause of what's happening inside of me. And the impact of denial is that because of the way the human mind works, my mind always follows the words I give it in constructing its reality. Reality is nothing more than a construct of the mind. And so when I say, you made me mad, you hurt me, you have a problem, I'm telling my mind with my words that it has to show me a picture where you're the problem in my life. And that leads to codependence. So it, it, addiction work and codependence, and again, we have a slightly different definition of, uh, of codependence probably than most people do in the, in the traditional treatment world. And that is that codependence is simply, I think you're the cause of what's happening inside of me. It's your fault that I'm feeling this. And what happens when we do that, my, my take, and this is what leads to addictive behavior primarily, is that when I think or speak as though you're the cause of what's happening inside of me, that which is caused, which is always inside of me, I have to hide from myself. You know, we've got a, a test we've developed for how to tell whether or not what I'm feeling is mine or not. And, and the test is, you know, it's pretty complicated, pretty difficult to apply, but with a little effort, you can do it. How do I tell if what I'm feeling is mine or not? I'm feeling it. That's all I need to know. So if I'm feeling something and I'm telling you that your cause, I'm telling you your cause because of the construct, my perception is showing me that your cause, which means I'm now cut off from or dissociated from cause inside of me. If I'm dissociated from the cause of my pain, I can't resolve my pain. And so pain tends to build and build and build to the point where it seems to be unresolvable because what I've hidden from myself, how do I change? How do I fix it? And so the, the two, the codependence and the addiction, tend to go hand in hand. And when we're talking about addiction, we're talking about anything that I use to keep from hearing and following my guidance or to anesthetize my pain. There are lots of beliefs, and you know certainly contrary opinions are most welcome. We're here to to understand, to learn, and grow together as a community, and to create a community that's based in respect and love. You know, there's a certain set of words that in the Aramaic were spoken that had one meaning, and the Greeks translated as the kingdom of heaven. And in Aramaic, those words translate to community of love, and that's what we're looking to to develop here in this uh, work of why is this happening to me again. So my view is that all addiction is rooted in dissociated pain. And people tend, my experience in the last 45 or so years of working with people, people tend, 
when they have pain that they don't know is there. Now, that could leave some people in confusion because how could you know you, you, you or not know you have pain? Well, here's an example. You ever put on a wool sweater, and, and when you put it on your bare skin, it's, just, it's itchy? And after 15 or 20 minutes, the itch goes away. Or so we think it does. But remember eight hours later when you took that wool sweater off? Oh, God, everything's itchy. Boy, does it ever feel good to have that off? The whole time the itch was there, the mind just adjusted it out of awareness. When we live in denial and dissociation, we adjust things out of awareness. And, again, here's the key component from where I sit, and I'll be interested to hear Dr. Androcki's, Tim's, Gail's, anyone and everyone else's thoughts in this regard. But when I have that pain I've dissociated from and I don't know it's there, and I find a toxic substance that weakens me sufficiently that I don't feel that pain, I experience that as relief from pain I didn't know was there. And I say, this is good stuff. I like this. Even though it's ultimately killing me. Cancel the thought. So, and I learned this one in particular from a woman in a, I used to have a private practice in South Florida, and there was this woman who was um, a housewife, and her husband was a very successful businessman. And seven days a week when he got home late in the evening from work, they would have a, a, a couple of drinks before dinner, a bottle of wine with dinner, and three or four drinks after dinner. They weren't alcoholics, but she decided when she started doing this work that she was going to stop using alcohol. And as it turned out, over a period of about five years, she never touched any alcohol. And she shared with me in a private session uh, that she had gone to a party one night after about five years of no alcohol, and someone offered her a drink of, of, of uh, liquor. And she's like, oh, sure, I'll have one. And she said that that drink no more than got past her lips, and it felt like razor blades in her kidneys. And I'd offer that when I have pain that I don't know is there, and I'm relieved of that pain, then I think that this is good. Well, what it's doing is tearing up my kidneys and my whole tissue structure. So... I believe that's the root. That's that's what, from where I sit, the root of addiction. And what I found is that the contribution that first century Aramaic forgiveness can make is that it collapses. When it's effectively used, it collapses the whole cycle of denial, dissociation, and blame and projecting everybody else. And it puts people right square into the root energy of their pain and the memories that go with it. Now, what happens is, and if you have tapped in, if you've used the uh, wake-up sheet, the reality management wake-up sheet, then you see that in step four, before you do the core step of forgiveness, in step four, you purposely, consciously bring forward the active presence of love. And so when you do the action step in step five of canceling whatever the goal is that's driving the energy of pain to produce the construct called our reality or our perception, that whole thing collapses in on itself. And when you collapse in on that to its root and you bring love with it, those energies transmute. They, those energies are literally changed. You know, one of the, the basic laws of the universe is, and it's a 
big mouthful, the perpetual transmutation of radiant energy. That energy is always changing from one form to the other, to another, to another. You know, the sun shines on a plant. The plant converts it with chlorophyll into usable energy for the plant. And we eat it, and what we're really eating is sunshine. And that's a transmutation of energy. It changed from one form to another. When active love is brought to the root energy of pain, because pain is based in falsehood, the pain dissolves. That's all. There's a transmutation. And so it's all an energetic process. And the idea is to to have a meeting of anything you've dissociated from and the conscious active presence of love. And when those two things meet, that's where healing happens. And so that's what we're here to uh, to talk about today and uh, get some perspectives on. And I understand that Dr. Andraki was is with us, and I'm not sure how long he can be with us. So I'm going to uh, go to Dec- Dr. Andraki, and he's going to give us a, uh, a medical perspective on what he does in working with addiction out in Pahrump, Nevada. Uh, and that's kind of a specialty that Dr. Andraki is with, as well as uh, bringing forgiveness to people in his uh, his clinic where he actually on a weekly basis he and his wife Claudia uh, do support groups working with the forgiveness process and so uh, we really appreciate your awareness and your presence Dr. Andraki and uh, uh, willingness to uh, to share with us some of the medical perspectives and the uh, the the work that you're doing with addiction welcome glad you're here we appreciate you thank you thank you for the invitation Um, can so you hear me? I, we can hear you loud and clear, and I'd love to have any any thoughts you have on the introduction and how it fits with you. And then, you know, you were sharing earlier today when we talked that uh, you'd like to share perhaps some medical perspectives on uh, on your work with addiction. Very good. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to uh, try and uh, continue to bring options for people have uh, problems, and we all do, um, in a way that I found to be very helpful. Uh, I'd like to at least, uh, at the first uh, part of, uh, of this uh, and for the future, is to lay out my, I'm an allopathic doctor, which means that I do regular medicine. We believe in uh, surgery when necessary, with uh, testing, with vaccines, and with medications, so we're not here to discuss the, the points of uh, non-traditional medicines and allopathic medicines. Uh, I'd rather try and talk about the opportunity to integrate uh, these different thoughts into a way that is going to fit people's uh, desires. I've uh, gone to medical school. I have a training in family medicine, and I've been practicing for over 30 years. I also have uh, a, a certification of uh, involves written uh, testing, involves uh, um, meeting standards uh, for addiction medicine. It was an arduous uh, path to understand how addiction uh, can can form treatment options and um, the complexities of addiction. So we go into the neurobiology, into the uh, the best information we have currently on how addictions uh, can develop in the brain and associations uh, with addictions and how we can um, best treat those addictions. Now, what I'm going to be speaking about and offering uh, cannot be construed as medical advice. Uh, These are difficult problems. I'm going to give my thoughts on the matter. 
However, I cannot say what's necessary in your circumstance. I'd also like to say that when we're talking about addictions, the addiction range is uh, very, very large, everything from sex addictions uh, to smoking addictions, uh, alcohol, uh, tranquilizers, benzos, uh, opiates, um, uh, uh, Internet. uh, it, It goes on and on. But the most dangerous addictions to deal with in my world is alcohol and benzos, benzodiazepines, which are tranquilizers, Xanax, and things like this. And in my world, those are difficult to to taper down from and can cause death when they're stopped suddenly. People have gone into seizures with alcohol as well as with stopping Valiums and Xanax. So we don't recommend, and I'm not certainly recommending that you stop those immediately. Obviously, you're not going to die if you stop smoking, and you almost always never die when you stop opiates, such as heroin, pills, pain pills. But in many cases, you feel like you want to die. So I'd like to make uh, it clear that uh, I'm going to offer perspectives, and uh, I will um, assist people as best as I can with uh, with information that I have. But uh, in the big picture of things, I support what Michael has uh, has brought forward, and I met Michael uh, over 20 years ago, and uh, I've integrated his uh, program into my program. Now, we have a support group on Friday nights, and everybody is welcome. You do not have to have addiction problems to be present. As a matter of fact, uh, sometimes there's only uh, a few people with addiction problems. Everybody is welcome because we all have issues and problems. And I found this to be very beneficial. And quickly, I'll say that when I was dealing with uh, patients who had problems, I had no other way to help them. I can't make them do anything. I've uh, listened to Deepak Chopra. I've gone to his uh, workshops. I've uh, been trained in medical hypnosis. Uh, I have the full pharmacy full of medications. I can use motivational speaking, but I can't make anybody do anything. Because what I can do is to assist people who want to change. So I've dealt with people on a regular basis who come in and say, I need to, I want to stop heroin, I have to stop heroin, I have to stop these pills, Uh, I'm going to lose my kids, et cetera, et cetera. But really, when somebody comes in and says that they want to, that they need to, that they have to, it really doesn't make uh, a lot of sense to me that they're coming and saying that they want to or they need to. Uh, Michael, at this point, would you like to say something about the intention when somebody comes in and wanting to do something versus doing it? Well, I think that uh, the mind can play all kinds of games. I would love to hear uh, your your definition of addiction, how perhaps it compares with the definition I gave earlier and just see how, how that fits. But, um, you know, wanting is telling the mind that someday I could possibly do this as opposed to, okay, you know, facing up to what do I need to do, what am I ready to do in order to change what I'm doing in my life, especially if it involves any form of addiction. That'd be my thought. Well, uh, addiction is uh, is one of the uh, the ways that the, the human mind, or you use human a little bit different than I do, but the uh, male or female's mind uh, goes out of uh, out of control, uh, basically. And we can say this by giving an example. How many people would say, I'm going to lose weight or I want to lose weight or 
um, I need to lose weight and I'm going to stop eating chocolate or I'm just going to stop uh, drinking sodas. So part of your mind is saying, I'm going to do this. And part of your mind is obviously not cooperating with that part of your mind that you're hearing. That's self-talk. And we're going to call that the conscious mind. And that happens on a regular basis. Maybe two times mind is talking to you. Probably your mind is talking to you right now. It's saying that this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand this or the things to do. So that's self-talk. That's going in the back of your head. And that's more linked with consciousness. Whereas a subconscious mind which has a better control of uh, of everything that's uh, going on around you that never sleeps, that's there in the night with your dreams, it's there uh, driving your decisions in the day and uh, where you're going to go and what you're going to do is much more powerful. So when you have a behavior that uh, it, it's actually broken down into uh, the uh, diagnostic criteria, uh, meeting certain criteria where this addiction is when uh, you have a desire that uh, interferes with your social uh, uh, structures that uh, you want to cut down but are unable to, that uh, takes a considerable amount of time out of your life trying to acquire uh, that or substances that has unwanted uh, side effects that uh, people have advised you to that you don't want to take their advice uh, that can lead to withdrawal type of symptoms. There's a long list of criteria. And when you meet that criteria, you can, you can meet it in a variety of ways. You can mild, moderate, or severe type of addiction. It's basically saying that you are, have lost control over some desire that you have, whether it's uh, Internet porn, whether it's gambling, which we see a lot in uh, uh, the Nevada uh, where it's legal, uh, where you have uh, uncontrolled alcohol, uh, use where you wake up with a hangover and still uh, go back to drinking, where you have to go buy heroin from a street and you want to stop because it's going to land you in jail or an overdose, et cetera, that you continue to use it. That's an addictive type of behavior. Basically, you can say something that you want to stop or something that is unhealthy that you are unable to control. Does that help with uh, addiction? And do you uh, agree with that, Michael? Great. Yeah. Yeah, fits fits perfectly for me, and uh, I don't know if you were on the show where uh, Dr. Tim shared the uh, addiction therapist that uh, he knew who, when it came to the, the first step, for instance, and we'll bring in some 12-step work too, the first step of I'm powerless over alcohol, and, you know, people don't want to claim that powerlessness and uh, – the therapist that uh, Tim was sharing with us, and I thought it was hilarious and very effective, and I've actually used it a couple of times since then in just the last few weeks, is uh, that he reaches into his drawer and pulls out a box of X-Lax and says, here you go. Chow it down. Now let's see how much power you've got over it. <laughs> you know, once it's in the body, not much control, and what does it lead to? So I thought that was uh, kind of a, a humorous but uh, very effective way of, of, of showing people that, you know, there are some things once we put them in the body that uh, that we're powerless over, and uh, for many people, alcohol certainly one of them. Or porn. It was interesting. I was reading some reports on porn a little while back, and they were trying to do controlled research, but they couldn't find enough, and particularly with men, they couldn't find enough young men who weren't watching porn to create a a, a, a control group. That it's so prevalent, the internet porn. And the the impact of that uh, addiction on relationships, on the brain, on physiology is monumental. 
Uh, so it's a really, I think, uh, misunderstood by the average person, not realized to be an addiction, and the the impact that it has is just really tragic in relationships. Well, take for instance the pornography. How can someone be uh, addicted to pornography? Well, it goes back to the brain structure, and we understand certain parts of the brain. That's uh, uh, neurofunctioning, neurobiology, and this is much easier to study these days when we have uh, ways to uh, to uh, image the brain and activity in the brain. So certain areas will light up when given uh, proper um, injections into a proper machine. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But, uh, for instance, we have an innate drive uh, to uh, reproduce. We have a, a sexual drive, libido, uh, and we need to do this. This is part of our behavior to propagate, to uh, be able to continue our species lines. Uh, this is, of course, necessary in all species, or they are no longer here. So we have this, but we are able to, uh, to excite that area, and it's just like lifting weights. If I lift the weight with my uh, right arm, uh, a barbell every day, my muscles are going to get stronger, my muscles are going to work better. If you continue to exercise those circuits in the brain that are controlling uh, certain areas uh, from other areas, those get bigger and they're going to preferentially carry the electrical pulse going to that area. So you develop this, this called plasticity of the brain, that your brain is able to change. We see amazing things that uh, people who have strokes are able to retrain themselves or people who have had tumors removed are able to, uh, to train themselves. And uh, people who have addictions have trained their mind to work in a way that that becomes really uh, easy to go to and really important. So I've heard one, uh, one uh, medical doctor say that alcohol and drugs becomes your god in your brain, in the frontal part of your brain, that that is the most important thing that supersedes everything. So when you have something that strong in your mind that becomes your god, the most important, uh, the, the most highest focus that you can have in your brain, then, of course, you have a problem with uh, deciding to stop that and taking the steps to stop that because uh, it takes a long time to undo those circuits. And so he estimated, and he was uh, practicing a lot longer than I have, that it takes a year of abstinence before you're able to, uh, to uh, get the circuits back into normal working condition without having that area to go to on a regular basis and to be stimulated. So that becomes more normal to you than if you didn't have that. Now, in, in integrating your work with addiction work, uh, so many people come in and they have lost their self-identity. Uh, they have a God in their brain. They have a interest, and their most interest is not their children, is not their spouses, and certainly not their job anymore, is trying to get the drug that makes them feel either normal or makes them feel better. And that's a, a subject for the future is, uh, is how these drugs are working. Do they make you feel normal because you are withdrawing from them? Or do they make you feel better because you're drowned out or you're, uh, you're numbed up as a result of this? Or is it they make you euphoric or do they make you really feel good? And it could be a combination of any of those uh, type of, uh, of, of or even more um, uh, thoughts in the mind. But the fact is that they have lost who they are. They've lost what the direction is, and they have to get back to something. They have to get back to basis. So the two best choices we have are, are AA, which is or, or the 12-step programs, where they have a, a set uh, program uh, of, of going through the steps and undoing a lot of things, and that helps a lot of people. Or 
starting with an ideology, starting with a basic fact, starting with something that they can connect to. And this is the first step that we do in, uh, in our uh, support group and uh, what we uh, constantly remind people of is where they, who they are and where they started from. And I know of no other way, I've never heard it another way than the way that you express it, that we are loved, that we started this way, and we can reconnect this way. And if anybody has had children, that it's easy to get back to that uh, place in their mind. And this is the, uh, as you just said in your introduction, this is the basis for all the work that uh, we need to integrate the expression of love, who we are, and uh, how we operate into everything, and actually uh, bringing love into ourselves and bringing uh, the, the essence of love into work, working towards uh, sobriety or working to uh, addiction is a very simple concept, but it is, uh, as you know, as you express, uh, it takes a lot of work, uh, and as I've seen in my own practice, it takes a lot of work, a lot of uh, focus for people to integrate back to that because you've really lost that. Now, if somebody has a different program, then that's wonderful, but I don't know of something that's more basic than who we are, how we were when we were born, and uh, and what makes us feel the best under any circumstance. Anything that's going on is holding uh, your newborn baby, um, getting a hug from your mother, or holding your mother or your father, whoever it was that was your grandparents that were most important to you. That's the essence that we have to uh, start from and that we work from and that we want to return to. And I just know of no other way that's any better than looking at that and returning to that whenever we're having issues or problems. You know, a couple of things on, on what you've just said is uh, is one that um, you know, this medical doctor you were talking about, that it takes a year to reset the brain circuits. And uh, I know that over the years of doing this work, in order for people to to really start to make more than just surface changes. I've seen people in very short times make some surface changes and and it's powerful and it changes people's lives. But in the long haul, my observation is that to really shift into deeper gut level work, it takes about five years of consistent, persistent work to make that movement take place. And the other thing, you know, we we talked a little bit a few minutes ago about uh, pornography addiction, and I think one of the things that people don't comprehend, and and I I want to bring it up. So if there's anybody who's listening that has that as a challenge or has children, to explain to them the really what I consider the most deleterious effect of of uh, pornography is that the Real relationship, uh, you know, the the sweetness, the beauty of real relationship with another human being is one of the most awesome gifts we could possibly have. And the deepening of that relationship, you know, the culture puts us in all kinds of directions, but the deepening of that relationship and the physical intimacy or sexuality in relationship, I think is one of the most awesome gifts that we've been given as human beings. And what I've observed happening with people when I've worked with people who have sexual addiction or or, uh, uh, pornography addiction is that what happens is the most important sex organ is the brain. And when people, you know, flash through with the Internet's availability now, you know, back a few decades ago, it was maybe a Playboy magazine. But, you know, you can only do so much with a Playboy magazine. But uh, with the Internet, people can go to every kind of 
bizarre sexuality that is imaginable, and I mean imaginable, in a matter of 10 minutes. And the stimulation to the brain and the, the chemistry created in the brain like that, or by that, there is no relationship that can compare with that. And I think the problem is, and it takes time to reset the brain, in my understanding, for people to come down from that to where they could actually have a, an actual, real, true, honest, intimate relationship with another human being. And if what one is expecting is, you know, image after image of, you know, bizarre sexuality, watching, looking at every kind of, you know, behavior that's possible, click, 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 that there's no relationship that can match that. And people don't realize that they are destroying their brain's potential to actually engage truly deeply in a, a truly satisfying, intimate way, a relationship with another human being. And I think that, uh, you know, with the, the Internet out there and I think educating children that to their sexuality is important, especially today because of the availability of stimulation from the Internet and getting them to recognize that the brain is the key in sexual interaction and that with the overstimulation of what pornography on the Internet brings leaves people really without the capacity for relationship. And that's a, a major tragedy in people's lives, I think. How does that fit with, uh, with your understanding, Steve? Well, I, of course, I think that it works in most things. If you look at all of the, uh, all of the things that you describe, if we're sweetness and if we're love, uh, then we remove ourselves when we use other substances we're getting to the same uh, end point as what we talk about uh, pornography. We're, uh, we're not expressing ourselves as we should and uh, expressing ourselves in another way through intoxication or through uh, some sort of stimulation. Obviously, there's stimulation when you, uh, when you consume sugar. I mean, there's no secret that if you eat sugar that it's going to have an effect on uh, how you move. Uh, you, get, uh, you, get, uh, you can get lazy, you get what's called a sugar high, or you can get active. And so it's causing uh, something other than the natural uh, experience that we should be. Um, runners can do that as well. I mean, you can be addicted to running. You can run through the unhealthy levels of uh, problems, um, and that can be unhealthy. But we're talking about a healthy balance. Uh, you can have alcohol in a in a healthy moderation but we're talking about something that's excessive then we're talking about something that's disruptive and it's something that that our mind is fooling us our mind is lying to us it's saying that we're going to continue to do this despite the fact that we may know better despite the fact that we know that it's not good for us then that's where we get into the addiction when it takes up uh it meets the criteria of needing more and more of it, that, that uh, desire to stop and unable to stop, that it, it's taking up too much of your time so that you're losing your social interactions or your commitments for, uh, to, to, to interact with other people or events, then that's where we see addictions. Uh, it, uh, it, it meets the definition. And it's, in so many, it's in so many different arenas that uh, the only way that we can really define 
how we should be is the sweetness and essence of love. And that is how we should be living our life. Anything else that's beyond that is really not to our benefit. And you, I've heard you, you describe this, and I hope I'm describing it accurately, Michael, because I've heard for many years uh, you describing this. And that really is uh, who we are and who we deserve to. It's our legacy. It's our birthright. And we still don't understand that. Uh, we still, our, our subconscious mind is taking us into a different direction. But if we can understand that no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter uh, what's happened to you, uh, and the terrible things that I've heard and that you've heard, and the, the craziness that I've oh. heard with drug addiction, it, it doesn't matter. I've had one person who I was uh, treating, attempting to treat for addictive behavior, says, you can't imagine the bad things that I've done. And when he has it in his mind that he is a bad person, there's little chance that he's going to be able to heal internally so he no longer needs these drugs. Now, he's telling me that I've got such bad stuff, I need to continue using drugs to numb me up. But the first step is understanding that you can return to who you are, that you are still that person. You've got to remove a lot of layers. So uh, when it all comes down to it, Michael, I think that, that, that you express it best and it works in every situation and that we need to return on who we really are and if we can do that, so many things get better, and then we're not even talking about uh, about alcohol or drugs. Absolutely. And you know, one of the other, I think, really key addictions that has is rampant in our culture, and all you have to do is watch a, uh, a political debate to see how common it is, even at that level, uh, which, you know, people hold these folks in high esteem when in fact you know it may be misplaced esteem but hostility anger is such a uh, a powerful and seductive mistress for people much like alcohol and it totally changes brain chemistry and totally anesthetizes pain and my experience over the years of working with people and you know in an intensive will oftentimes purposely consciously stir people's rage and hostility until it blows and then if we can introduce the presence of love and get somebody to take a breath and just for a second just for an instant to to let go of that hostility right underneath it is such extreme pain that in some cases it's unbelievable i mean just beyond conception uh, some of the stories I've heard and as you say I know you've heard them too the things that has have happened to people the things that people have had done to them the people the things that people have done are just unbelievable and when we can introduce active love and for the addict at first it's pretty much impossible for them to do it for themselves and so an intervention looks like a, a care provider you know the the person who's there is support whether it's it's yourself it's a priest a minister a rabbi me or you know a therapist that's there as that space that that active presence of love really becomes the key healer and and opens a space for the person who's stuck in addiction to really truly start to identify with and literally on an energetic level resonate the love that they are so that that can start to come in 
and provide healing from within one's own skin. I think that's really a process as well. But that hostility uh, game is such a a, a powerful seductive uh, form of addiction and the other one is busyness you know the busyness of the culture so much of that is is addiction it's a way you know oh something's coming up I don't want to feel let me go get busy the same way as people well let me go grab a fifth of scotch let me get to the refrigerator let me get to the heroin whatever it's oh I'll get up and get busy and I was actually talking to someone this morning they were it was actually a person who's an attorney and they had a a major uh, brief that they needed to file. And one of the things this person was saying is, you know, I hate cleaning and I've been needing to have this brief filed for over a week and my house is so spotless. They literally, their addiction was to get busy cleaning the house. And, you know, they don't like cleaning, but but it was better than facing what they needed to face in filing this brief and the stresses involved internally in that. So it's it's interesting the number of things that can become uh, an addiction and a, a way to avoid the truth of what's going on. Well, I... Uh... All, all there's different permutations, and there's uh, never going to be a, a lack of new things that we hear of how people are coping with uh, their issues. And uh, you you mentioned it, uh, but I think that we have to consider how often do we sit uh, with ourselves uh, in a quiet environment um, on a daily basis, or do we even do that at all? Do we do it on a weekly basis, on a uh, on a monthly basis? How many times do we sit and experience? the uh the expression of love how many times do we actually close our eyes and uh, feel the uh the hug and the love of our mother or onto uh holding onto a child we have so many other things that are going on and i think it's just uh the integral part of who we are and how society has uh has so many options for us not to look at this and i think if anybody wants to start to heal and start to know themselves and start to connect to themselves, that that's going to be part of it. You're going to have to put some time away uh, on a daily basis to sit in quietness, to uh, to experience love as a regular practice, and to do the work as, uh, as you uh, describe on a, on, a, on a daily basis and how to do that work to get back to who right. you really are. Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting that, uh, you know, when we did the uh, the series on AA and addiction and such back a few weeks ago, and there are links on the front of the page of the website to that, uh, Gail was sharing with us that the root of the 12-step program, interestingly enough, is the first century uh, teachings of Yeshua, which, you know, were, if not Greek, or pardon me, if not Aramaic at that point, they were certainly close enough, and that the uh, several of the original steps came out of that and of course one of the steps Yeshua gives if you go back and listen to him he says you got to go into the closet and close the door I don't think he was talking about isolating ourselves in a little tiny room in the house <laughs> he was talking about getting to that space and you know in the laws of living class we introduce a worksheet uh, we also introduce it in our getting the stress you need uh, mind goal management and morning and night we suggest at least five minutes of just quiet connected breathing and connecting to love and and if you do that it that 
that tends to grow and tends to expand. So, And we've got uh, a couple of other folks on the line with us. So let's say a quick hello to Dr. Tim and see if uh, if he's got any perspectives to share on uh, on the conversation so far and uh, and some ideas to add to the conversation. Dr. Tim? Well, I'm enjoying the conversation, um, and I'd rather have us move over to somebody like Gail or somebody else who has actually been integrating this work with the 12-step stuff. And I'll just say once again, while Dr. Androcki's on the phone, um, the wonderful summary about functional medicine that can be found on onbeing.org and the uh, December 3rd show is a great place to go to get wonderful perspective from medical doctors and philanthropists about what it really takes to do human healing. And beyond that, you're in an area where I have lots of training but no personal experience, so I'd love to hear from somebody who's actually worked with this, integrating your work and the 12-step stuff. Cool. And once again, Tim, thanks for introducing that show to us. It is awesome. And you can go to onbeing.org and just look up the December 3rd show, and there's a free archive of it, and you can listen to it. And uh, basically, you know, what we've been working with with people for decades, uh, this medical doctor who himself uh, was dying from mercury poisoning and could find no answers, and he comes up in the conversation with the psychiatrist and this philanthropist you're speaking of with, with four things that are necessary for healing. And uh, those four things were community, forgiveness, love, and proper nutrition. So pretty pretty cool and, and uh, powerful presentation of that on, on being.org. And Gail, how are you, young lady? Are you with us, Gail? Is your mute button I on? Am. Can you hear me? You're loud and clear now. Hey, welcome, young lady. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I did have my mute button on. <laughs> I know how that goes. I've I've been mute challenged before, too. Got you, got you. Just enjoying the conversation as well. Um, spending some time with my grandson while my daughter goes to class. Um, she's taking um, classes at the community college around here, and he is working nice. on a puzzle, so we're having a good time together and listening cool. to the conversation. Well, anything to uh, to add at this point? We're down to a few minutes, and so I'd love to get any perspectives or thoughts you have to add to expand the conversation, to, uh, to bring emphasis to parts of the conversation that you found to be particularly important in the work you've done. I um I really don't have anything to add. Um at at this point in time I did um appreciate uh the the um the discussion about pornography. I think that is very important um to address. I uh just it's a billion dollar industry, it's so pervasive in this country. And so easily accessible and so easy, I believe, to become addicted. So I, I'm appreciating the conversation that is that is opening up and, and, and exploring that. I don't think the uh, the culture has yet started to appreciate the the impact on the family, on parent child relationships, on husband and wife relationships. I don't think that it's even started to to appreciate the impact of of that addiction 
there is a really powerful film which I suggest people watch and one of the most interesting parts of the film that I see it's and the movie is called Thank You for Sharing and it's about sexual addiction but it brings in alcohol and drugs as well and uh, really interesting to see how they captured in the film each time that one of the people in the film is getting ready to fall off the wagon and it's a very realistic portrayal uh, the, the first place they go is to hostility and that when the hostility isn't enough, when, when denial doesn't work and dissociation isn't enough to hide the pain and hostility is used, my take is as a drug. And then when that drug doesn't work, as much as people try to resist their alcohol or their sex addiction and bizarre behaviors, um, that, that hostility is like one of the earliest signals uh, one of the participants, one of the uh, actors in the movie is, is just has a giant struggle with staying away from just bizarre sexual addiction. And, uh, and, and you just watch, you can just watch his hostility build and where he's going to you know, tip and fall over the edges where the hostility isn't enough of an anesthetic. So I think it's a, it's a pretty powerful film if you haven't seen it, and it's a good one to, uh, to breathe through and have worksheets available. So, and I understand that Terry Bowling is with us too, so let's say hello to Terry and see if uh, Terry has any thoughts or anything to, uh, to add to the conversation. Terry? Hey, Michael. Hey, welcome, sir. Can you hear me? How do you be? All right. You're loud and clear. I'll be well. You're loud and clear. <laughs> I'll be very well. well. Yeah, this is a great conversation. Fabulous. I know we're we're down to just a few minutes, so uh, there's not really space to open up a, a whole lot of things. So, with my, with well, we've my got coming nine from minutes. Okay, coming from the place of uh, uh, working through some addictions and coming up on 30 years of assonance next month, the next couple of weeks actually, there's a pretty big milestone at one one point in my life I never ever imagined would happen. And uh knowing uh, watching and growing and participating and keeping uh tied to that program and yet at the same time using the twelve step as a, a way to expand and ever seek out and expand our conscious contact with God, however we understand that, allows me to step in and explore any other modalities, any and all other modalities, and, and uh, tie them together. And over the years, I've never found anything that what has what I call the, the core thread of truth to conflict with each other. They all can say the same things and just use a little different language. You know? Right. Of course, language and then yeah. the tools to uh, to work through the underlying issues, I think, becomes an impo- such an important part of the process. Yes, each one of them has a set of tools, and there's been people who have reached uh, enlightenment or understanding through each process, and, that's what, and I think that's why they say there's many paths to the mountaintop, and some of them are a lot shorter <laughs> and a lot clearer and easier than others, and uh, yet, uh, you know, allowing each person to walk his own path is just an honor, you know, coming from a space of love and uh, being support is, is important. There's a saying that goes around in the 12th in the community where talking about the five years now, and it's, uh, 
they started using it quite a bit where they said uh, when someone reaches the five-year mark, you can hear a loud popping sound. They said that's when their head's popping out of their butt. <laughs> So to speak, so it's, uh, they're, they're in the line a little bit. Yeah. So, okay, I I hadn't heard that one, Terry, but uh, that kind yeah, of that's, uh, that's that, that fits. So that that was a way to Starting. you know kind of let it let it known uh, to to the folks that you know yeah you may have uh, two years, three years, or four years, but you're still you know the real work's uh, just beginning, and uh, and it's right in alignment with what you guys were talking about that five year period to really integrate and. Uh, with uh, folks who are who have come through some pretty heavy brutal addictions, this uh, this is a long, nurse, nurturing you know process. Uh, I've been every kind of sponsor that there is out there: the the rough, tough, the hardcore, the mean, the what you know, all the different ones. And I kind of settled on a style where I just um, meet the individual wherever they're at and help them grow as fast as they're willing to uh, through the through the next levels. And uh, that's that's been working real well. And I, I work with a lot of guys, and some of them can ad- adapt and grab onto this uh, uh, these concepts at a, at a larger level than others. They all kind of get you know a little bit of a, a little piece of it, all, but depending on for one year, two years, three year, five year, you know that they, they they have uh, cleared up some stuff that allows them to start to embrace some broader um, and, and deeper uh, work. The uh, essence that uh, I've come to agree upon, and this is with my most recent sponsor, is that you know, there's only one cure for addiction, and uh, and that's to stop using the substance, period. Cause, and I remembered when I crossed a threshold that I could not, not use anymore, that, I, that the brain had been uh, uh, programmed with enough pathways so that it was, I could not use. I had used and it was a total place of uh, um, despair, I guess. And that went on for a couple of years before I actually was able to stop using substance. And uh, and that made sense to me. And then um, what's been shared with me is that all addicts are codependent by nature. And and, and then there's two aspects of the disease of addiction. There's the, the addiction itself to substance, and there's only one cure. And it's really no cure for that. It's just a, a daily reprieve. Because once you put that substance back in, then those brain waves open up and fire off, and you're back and running again. So you just have to you have to stop using. And sometimes that requires medical detox, like um, uh, the good doctor was referring to earlier. That there's there's a lot of can be some danger and all that, depending on where the person has been. But you got to get them cleaned up first, so to speak. Then you can start working on all the codependent issues. And I love my the definition I have of codependence is that you know, whenever I put any person, place, or thing past, present, or future, real or imagined, in front of my own well-being. And my own well-being in the YGAM work is uh, staying connected to love. So anytime I put anything in front of staying connected to love, I'm then in a codependent relationship with that anything. That sounds right on. I'm I'm certainly in agreement with that. And it's interesting to watch the levels and the layers that people go through and, you know, people embrace and love and want the tools and want to use the tools until they're ready to drop into the next deeper layer. And then the resistor takes over again and it takes time to work through that resistance and, and go back to what really works to, to start to clean up the next layer. And uh, I think sometimes that means that it's really 
moving in the direction of it. I don't know what the noise is in the background. It sounds like there's some tools moving or something. But uh, that it really means going to the next level, which oftentimes I think is touching into the genetic component, the energetic dynamics of the generations in addiction. And that's uh, that's a huge piece to open and start to breathe through and start to move through. Yes, I think Yes, and, and what came to thought was uh, uh, to my mind that was that uh, that movie you you talked about and one of my one of my favorite movies is Robin Williams and uh, what is it what dreams we dream and how if he was going to the, open up to that next layer it would just become almost uh, uh, overpowering you know it just really would get into it and that's that is has been my experience as I go into deeper levels is that my mind is going crazy and it's like if I haven't laid the foundation and, and uh, built the brain cells and established agreements and commitments and done work on a consistent basis, basis over long periods of time, then when the resistance does come up, then it's going to, you know, there's a potential to stay in that resistance for a lot longer. You agree? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think the movie you're referring to with Robin Williams is What Dreams Will Come. And yeah, uh, it, is, it is a, a very powerful metaphor for addiction and you know as his wife is lost in her pain that they warn him if you go in there you'll get trapped and you'll never get out and you know that is how addiction tends to feel and uh it uh it's it's so awesome to me that we have so many people who are coming together with different levels of understanding and different tools that can help to untie us from all of those things and free us from it. So it's pretty powerful. And we are down to the last minute or so. I would love to have had a couple of minutes for everybody to wind up, uh, but it looks like the clock just ran away here. And so I'm going to just say thank each of you for your input. That's an awesome first show on um, healing addiction. And uh, we'll look forward to next Wednesday and uh, tomorrow's show. We'll move forward and we may continue with the conversation. We'll see where it goes. But in the meantime, we appreciate everybody's input and participation. Hope it's been of service to you. And we're here five days a week, an hour a day for a personal conversation for support. So tap in, bring a stranger to the show, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. A-I-N.com Evolving continuously